Well, grace and peace to you this morning. We are glad that you're here. We want to, to welcome you to uh, our worship service. And so if you have a, a Bible, you might be turning it to Isaiah chapter 42. Isaiah chapter 42. Got a, another announcement um, this morning, and that is we need to add Mickey or the family of Mickey Schubert um, to our prayers. He passed away recently. He was a, a friend of the Fonvilles, and so please pray for the family of, of Mickey Schubert. And again, this Friday, we'll be going on that, that trip to, to Burnett, Texas, to uh, see the, the recreation of the town of Bethlehem. It's going to be an exciting trip, and, and again, it's a trip for the youth, but if you're young at heart, we would welcome you as well. Just uh, please let me know so I can kind of get a head count on who's riding the van, if we need some extra vehicles. But it should be a, a wonderful time um, seeing what Bethlehem may have looked like. And so uh, the, we're at a time period in our... Um, culture where people tend to begin to think more spiritually and they begin to uh, think more about Jesus and so we're grateful for that. Uh, This month we'll be looking at Isaiah chapters 40 through 55. We began that last week. This morning we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 42. Uh, Hopefully you do something spiritual with your family as well. Uh, If you don't, maybe this month you could uh, take a look at Isaiah 40 through 55. Again, it's this one long poem. Uh, and kind of look over that with your family and see uh, some of the references to uh, Christ and the Messiah uh, in this wonderful book. And so let's, beginning with a, let's begin this morning with a reading of the Word. Isaiah 42. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintling burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, Who spread them out the earth, who spread out the earth, and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. The word of the Lord. Well, if you were to ask me what my favorite Bible verse is, I would probably say Luke chapter 1, verses 78 and 79 which says, by the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Why these verses? You know, we all have our our favorite verses, but, but why these? What's so special about them? Well, these are verses about light in a dark world. A common theme in Scripture is 
Tom already pointed out, we, we looked at this about a month ago, it's something that just comes up over and over again. It comes up over and over again in Isaiah. It comes up over and over again throughout the Bible. But, but there's more to these verses than just that because these two verses tell a story. They're found at the very end of Luke chapter 1. And they're spoken by a man named Zechariah. And Zechariah, he was the father of John the Baptist. And you'll remember that Zechariah could not speak throughout Elizabeth's pregnancy because he did not believe the words of the angel who came to him. He did not believe that he and Elizabeth could have a child in their old age. And so from the moment he got the news until John was born, he was not able to speak. He was mute. And it was only after that John was born that he's able to speak again. And these are some of the first words that he utters. And these are words of anticipation. These are words that look forward to what is to come. Things were not as they should be. And all of Israel knew this. This wasn't a secret. They, they longed for a coming Messiah. They longed for a king to come and to right all the wrongs that were happening to them. And these words of Zechariah are immediately followed by the birth of Jesus. And so if you're looking in your Bible, these happen at the very end of Luke chapter 1, and then at the very beginning of Luke chapter 2 is the story of the birth of Christ. And so this, this light that we've been talking about, the, the, this light that so many ha, ha, had longed for, it now comes into the world, and God takes on flesh, and He's born in a manger, and He walks among us. And we all know this story, but, but what does this have to do with Isaiah? Well, the longing that's expressed here by Zechariah was not something that was new. This is the same longing that's found in the book of Isaiah. And so this, this poem that we've been looking at, Isaiah 40 through 55, those chapters, is, it's one long poem that's written to captive Israel. And it is a poem of hope written to people in captivity. But it's also a poem that addresses the, the problems that led Israel to captivity. And so, so much of it, if you, if you go home and you read it and you look at it and you study it in depth, you're going to see that much of it focuses on the uselessness of idols. In fact, this is the subject of the second half of chapter 41. So those are the very verses that come right before 42. And the prophet Isaiah reminds the people of God again and again that, that, that idols are, are powerless. They're useless. They're no good. They cannot help. They cannot save. They cannot do anything. And this is all summed up in chapter 41, verses 28 and 29. He says, but, but when I look, there is no one. Among these, there is no counselor who, when I ask, gives an answer. No, they are all a delusion. Their works are nothing. Their images are empty wind. 
Now, if idols were nothing more than a carved image, then we wouldn't have much to worry about today. However, idolatry is uh, more serious than just carved images. And this was something that was recognized even in Old Testament times. So I want you to to notice this passage in, in Ezekiel 14, which speaks of idolatry. And it says, Thus says the Lord God, Any of those of the house of Israel who take their idols, and notice this, where do they take their idols? Into their hearts, and place their iniquity as a stumbling block before them, and yet come to the prophet, I the Lord will answer those who come with the multitude of their idols, in order that I may take hold of the hearts of the house of Israel, all of whom are estranged from me through their idols. And so the danger of idolatry is not some carved image. The danger of idolatry is what happens in the heart. And this is what God is concerned about. And when we think of idolatry in these terms, then it is still very much a problem today. We still have idols. They're just different idols. And so people give their hearts to all kinds of things. People give their hearts to to money and to power and to sex and to pleasure. And you you, you can name all sorts of different things. And so if anything is competing with God for your heart, then that is an idol. And whatever that may be, Isaiah reminds us that it has no power to save. And so these idols, these things that compete for our heart, they're useless. And therefore, he says, we should give them up. And instead of looking to idols, we should turn to God who can save. And this is the point of Isaiah 42. God looks around. He sees nothing of worth in the idols that Israel had turned to. And then he says this. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. And this is the first of four servant songs that are found in Isaiah. We're very familiar with the one in Isaiah 53 that gives us the picture of the suffering servant. That's the one that we read most of the time. But there are four of these servant songs. And here the servant is God's chosen who God puts his spirit upon and who's going to bring justice to the nations. Well, who is this servant? Well, back in Isaiah's day, it wasn't exactly clear. But as we look backwards, we know it's Jesus. We know that Jesus is God's chosen. We know that uh, the the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. And we know that he comes to bring justice to the nations. And justice is a theme throughout this passage. You can't just skip over it. You can't just ignore it. In verse 3 it says, he will faithfully bring forth justice. And in verse 4 it says, he will not grow faint or be crushed until he has established justice in the earth. And so we've got we to pick up on this word that God keeps using over and over again. Now, when we think of the mission of Jesus, the, the, the mission of the coming of the Messiah, 
We probably think, oh yeah, Jesus comes to forgive our sins. And that's it. And this is because this is what we have reduced Jesus' mission to. You know, we, we have it pretty good. We have everything else. We have all of our needs taken care of. And so if we could just get our sins forgiven uh, so we can go to heaven after we die, then that's all, that's all we need. But interestingly, this is not the picture presented in Scripture. Now, forgiveness of sins is mentioned much later in the poem. Uh, you get to Isaiah 53 and the suffering servant. It's, it's mentioned there. But it's not the focus of the mission of the Messiah. What does it mean that Jesus comes to establish justice? Well, it means that God recognizes that this world is not right. That He recognizes that this world has been corrupted by sin. And so Jesus comes to make all things right. And when we think of sins in only in personal terms, we're thinking too small. Because sin corrupts all things. And we see this with the first sin in the Garden of Eden. Um, what happens when Adam and Eve sin? Well, death enters into this world. And sin causes the earth to be cursed. And it brings forth thorns and thistles, and, and you have all these negative consequences. And so there's much wrong with this world. There are things that are wrong that are much bigger than ourselves. There is war, there is racism, there is poverty, there's disease, and on and on and on. And Jesus' role does not just mean our sins are forgiven. It means that all wrongs are righted, and that the world will be as it should be. And so the coming of Jesus is the first fruits of what is to come. Jesus comes and he conquers sin. Jesus comes and, and he overcomes the power of death. And he brings about new creation. New creation is breaking into this world. And we long for the return of Jesus when we will witness the, the culmination of God's justice being established. And in this description, we're also told how Jesus will rule. So it says that he will not cry or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. Remember how this poem begins back in chapter 40. Comfort, O oh comfort my people. And these are the instructions that God gives to Isaiah. But here in these verses we see that the Messiah, that is Jesus, is acting in a similar way. Um, and again, he's using poetic language here, and so we have to give it some thought. What does all this mean? Well, a bruised reed is a reed that is easily broken. But under the careful care of the Messiah, it's not going to be broken. A dimly burning wick is usually one that's quickly discarded or gotten rid of. 
Again, this is an image that's kind of beyond us now because we don't use candles or lamps or anything like that. But, but under the Messiah's leadership, it's not going to be discarded. That's the point. And so the message here, what this means, is that Jesus comes to comfort the downtrodden. He's going to care for the vulnerable and the marginalized. And this is exactly what Jesus does in his ministry here on earth. He comes and he heals the sick. He, he touches lepers and other untouchables. He speaks to unclean women and he listens to their concerns. He eats with sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors. He speaks well of Samaritans. And, and so we see that Jesus is a different kind of leader. He's a different kind of king. Because most kings would not concern themselves with the poor and the marginalized. That would be beneath them. But Jesus seeks them out, and he is kind, and he is gentle, and he comes to bring comfort to those who are suffering. And so God continues to focus on this as the, as the poem continues. It says, I am the Lord. I've called you in righteousness. I've taken you by the hand and kept you. I have given you as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that, it, that, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to idols. So again, the Messiah will give sight to the blind. And this is what he does, both literally and figuratively. That there are people who he comes into contact with who are literally blind. He gives them light. There are a lot of other people who are blind spiritually, and he gives them sight. And the same can be applied to prisoners here. In ancient times, prisoners were, were often the poor. And they might be in prison because you know, they could not pay the, the high Roman taxes or, or something else. And even in modern times, poor people are in prison at much greater rates than rich people. And so the rich are given advantages that the poor do not have, and God's justice is going to address all these various wrongs in the world. And you also think of this spiritually. There are a lot of people spiritually imprisoned, and Paul uses this language, and he's going to set these captives free. In verse 6, we find a phrase that will later be adopted by Jesus in the passage that Brian read for us this morning. This servant will be a light to the nations. And when God's servant comes and begins to, to right all these wrongs, then people are going to take notice. And this is what happened. His actions will be like a beacon to those around him. And this is a phrase that's also applied to the people of God because the mission of Jesus is our mission as well. And so God says in the Old Testament that Israel was to be a light to the nations. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount that we are to be a light to the world. This is because we are to do what Jesus did. And we are to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And if we're not being a light to the people around us, then we're not living as God has called us to live. Because we are called 
to make a difference in our community because we're Christians. And, and so people should, should know that we're here. Um, again, we shouldn't hide our light under a bushel. And we don't have a choice in this matter. If we call ourselves Christians, then we must be committed to, to being a light and we must be committed to letting our light shine. And so this means helping people in need. It means you know, righting wrongs. It means feeding the hungry. It means sharing the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ with others. It means that we're a people on mission, always, every day. And it's what Christians do. And when we do this, the kingdom of God becomes present to those around us. And so people begin to see a transformed community that's dedicated to following the ways of God. And this is what God speaks about in verse 9. See, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. So he says here that you can trust God's word because what he has said before has come true. His word is trustworthy. And now he's speaking of something new. He's speaking of a light on the horizon. He's speaking about this dawn that is breaking forth. And so new creation is about to be introduced into this world. And it begins with Jesus, but it continues with us. Paul speaks of this in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. God is at work in this world. He was at work when he sent forth his son. He's at work today among the church, among his people. And we know this to be true because, you know, he's already sent his son to this earth. What he has spoken has come to be. And so we now wait in eager anticipation for his son to return. And we wait just as the people in Isaiah's day waited for the coming of God's servant. But it's not exactly the same because we today have the blessing of knowing Jesus. We wait, but we do not sit idle. And the mission of Jesus is our mission. And we do this work, the work that he began, until he comes. And we continue to be a light to those around us by helping others and by sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And we press on because of the hope that we now have for the resurrection of the Messiah. And we do all of this remembering the words of God's faithful servant spoken long ago. By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And so may we go out this week and reflect 
the light of Christ in a dark world. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your holy word, which speaks to us and encourages us. And Father, we're so, so thankful for the light of Christ that has come into this world, a light that is now to be reflected in us as the people of God. And we pray, Father, that others will see that light in us, that they will see a transformed community that is dedicated to following in the footsteps of Jesus, a community that is dedicated to helping people in need and to righting wrongs and to sharing the gospel with others. May we be different from the world around us. May we be a beacon of light that others clearly see so that we may glorify you in everything that we do and so that others may glorify you as well. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.